I'm super excited. We've uh, well, last month to be ready in February. Can we believe? Can you believe it? It's been uh, almost a year since the the outbreak, and well, officially, and uh, what a what a crazy year it's been. And um, we spent the month of of January really going through something of of our vision of who we are as a church. We're called to be lights in the city. Um, and we shared some of the story of last year, about last week, about the last 10 years and God's faithfulness. And I still look back on those moments thinking, oh, God, you're so good. And uh, we started this week with fasting. Who fasted? Just want to raise your hand for those who are in, in the room, for those who are online. Uh, it was, it is, it's been a while since I fasted. I've got, to, I've got to be honest with you. And I think it was a tough one. Who felt it tough? You can give a little cheer online if that's if you did. But uh, fasting is so good and so key. And we we we're going to use the month of February so to go through prayer, fasting, the presence of God, and um, and I'm so glad that we started February with that. And we've asked our community groups to really just lay in uh, values around prayer. We've got a prayer series that I did a few months ago. You can go listen, maybe a year ago, maybe over a year ago. You can go listen to that, get all the notes. Uh, there's some great books. Uh, Pete Gregg wrote a book called Learn to Pray. I'd encourage you to get that. Tim Keller's book on prayer is unbelievable. Um, but we, we, I'm kind of not going that route this morning. I'm going the route of big, bold prayers we see throughout Scripture. And... Um, and it's one of our values. We, if, if you guys have a journal, uh, we've, we gave journals over the past couple of weeks. Again, if you don't have one, please email info at citylightsdubai.org. And we really set that up so you could spend time with Jesus this year. So you can journal uh, your time alone with God. You can journal your prayers. You can journal your prayer list at the back. I love that. I wrote, I've written three things down on the prayer list so far, and I'm trusting God for those three things. We always need to live in a place of trust. So I'm praying that over the next month, as we go through this series on prayer, and as you can see, we have these symbols. Uh, the first symbol we had last, last, we, uh, last month was the, the round circle, let there be light. Our creative team got together and have done an amazing job. So you'll see as we go through the 10 values over the year, we're going to emphasize them in our community groups. We're going to emphasize them in the church, but it speaks about who we are as a church and what we are called to be. And I think one of our greatest values is prayer. And I asked Bruce, what does this mean? Because he is one of the guys that put it together along with his creative team. And the triangle means this, it's prayer. Okay, so it's, it's that simple. Okay, so you're going to see the symbols in the front of your journal. Um, but let's just pray together. Let's just start with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the one, God incarnate, the, the word of God, Jesus. You are with us and you change us. And you make us more like you. And I pray, Lord God, that as we talk on prayer over the next couple of weeks and the presence of God, and those are two things that go together always. I pray, Lord God, that you'd put such a hunger in us. Would you put a hunger in me to pray? Not for more sake, not for just for prayer's sake, but God, to see you move, to see your hand move, to see your glory come, to see your presence move in and through our lives. I pray, Lord God, that you'd create a desperation. I pray that we would create desperations in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can you turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33, verse 11? And uh, we're going to be starting the, this, this series on prayer uh, from one of the greatest prayers in Scripture, and it's Moses' prayer to God. 
And there's no real like official word for prayer in the Old Testament. It's like, it's supplication. It's, it's getting before God. It's crying out. And here you have this moment where, where Moses was this friend of God, this, this person who was close to him, experienced in, under the old covenant something so incredible. But now we are under the new covenant, under Jesus. How much more should it be for us? So just to give you a bit of context, it's always good to read scripture in context. And understand where it's coming from. So he had, uh, he had the, the Israelites come out of Egypt. Uh, they were in the wilderness. God's teaching them a whole bunch of things. He's leading them by a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. And he's leading them through the desert. And he's going to lead them into the promised land. And he had this moment where they get to Mount Sinai. And there's also disputes. I went down a little rabbit trail this week. Where is Mount Sinai? Is it in Saudi Arabia? Is it in uh, the Sinai Peninsula? We, you know what I mean? There's, there's different angles. You can go do that research yourself. It's fun. It doesn't really change the, the fact of what actually happened in that, in that moment. But you have in, in Exodus 32, Moses goes up uh, the mountain. He spends 40 days uh, up the mountain, the, the preceding chapters. God speaks to him, gives him the law, gives him the, these tablets. And as he's coming down the mountain... He sees the people of of God, the Israelites who've been rescued out of slavery, been rescued from the Egyptians. And a couple of weeks ago, they kept looking back and saying, we want to go back to Egypt because we prefer cucumbers than land flowing with milk and honey. And how often is that in our lives that we can look back instead of look forward? And uh, he comes down and he's he's coming down the mountain and he sees that they've taken uh, all the gold that they had in the camp and there's there's about a million people and they've made a golden calf and they're bowing down and they're worshiping and they're going wild. Moses is just angry and he takes the tablets and he smashes them. God's angry. He has to almost plead before God. And then we pick up... In this verse, in Exodus 33, God speaks to him and says, listen, you need to keep moving forward. I'm going to, I'm going to take you into the land of milk and honey. God's promise still stood firm there. Even though the Israelite people had disobeyed him, it shows God's character. It shows who he is. And he comes to this, at this point in Exodus 33:11, And it says this, and Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. In the previous chapters, we've got a little tent there that Andrew and Jade sat by. And I was going to start the sermon there, but it's literally my first point. And uh, they would go to the, Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. He would spend time uh, in God's presence. Joshua, his aide, who became the, the successor to take the people into, into the promised land, would hang out in the tent in the residue of the presence of God. And in verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. And if you go read the chapters afterwards, which we're going to read a little bit now, it says that no one can see the face of God and live. And I've always, I've never really studied that. I didn't understand that Moses would speak to God face to face. But then a few chapters later, it says that, he, uh, that you cannot see the face of God and live. And I just looked at different commentaries and there's different kind of um, viewpoints that people take. The one is that it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Is that we can truly only see God shielded by Jesus. And we could see the face of God through Jesus Christ. They said he could have been looking directly into Jesus' face. Or it could have been a metaphor for closeness. No matter what it is, this is relational language. I love the word. It says that Moses spoke, uh, so the Lord would speak with Moses and not to Moses. He would speak with Moses as a man would speak to his friend. What, what an incredible privilege. Like we fast forward a few thousand years later, we, through Jesus... Jesus says this about us. He says, we are friends of God. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. There was an intimacy. 
Moses in the Old Covenant, uh, this incredible man of God, this prophet, uh, he had a closeness and an intimacy with God. And as I've been looking at this year, last year and this year going forward, that has to be the most important thing about us. I love how Louis led us into worship and into the presence of God. Like He's just saying, we want nothing else but your presence. This is what Moses starts to say here. In ancient culture, you'd, you'd never look at your superior in the face. But yet God in his grace, through us, through Jesus Christ, we can now look at God. We can seek his face. It's those in the Bible who were friends of God that stood out. You had Abraham is who was called a friend of God. You had Enoch who walked with God and he was just taken away, just disappeared. And I want to encourage you this morning, if, if, if you have not given your life to Jesus, you've not surrendered to him, you've not said, I believe that you are the son of God, you died on the cross, you rose again on the third day, and you believe it in your heart that he's your savior, I want to I'll just take a moment, even right now in your lounge, and just do it. Just pray to him and say, Father, I don't understand everything, but I believe in Jesus. I believe what he's done on the cross for me. In that moment, you're adopted as a son. You become a friend of God. You become close to God. And we work out our whole lives of kind of realizing the closeness that God has already won for us. The amazing thing is that um, about who God is, is that he's closer than a brother. Martin Smith wrote an amazing song about that. But he's also, when we get to see the risen Christ, we, we bow down on our face. You have John who wrote that, we, that Jesus is his friend, but a few books later in the book of Revelation, he sees this risen Christ who has conquered everything and he's bowing down on his, on his face to Jesus. And that is the mystery of who God is. And it's the understanding of who God is that, that I think we're going to take a lifetime to understand that He is, that he is other, that He is holy, that He is, that he is powerful, that He is all-powerful. He is sovereign, but yet He wants to be close to us. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have, uh, you have said, I know you by name. And, and you've found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may continue to find favor with you. Remember that this is your nation and your people. And Warren Wisseby is a great Bible commentator, Bible teacher. He says this, do God's children have the right to negotiate with God as Moses did? And he says it all depends on our relationship with God. Moses knew the ways of God and was an intimate friend of God and therefore could, was able to present his case with faith and skill. And at the end, you're going to see that one of the ways that we need to know God is know his ways. We have the Bible. What a privilege. We have revelation in our hands. We, it's why we've got a Bible uh, reading plan on the back of the journal. If you want to go get one um, offline, there's, there's so many. It's, it's a moment where you can get to know God himself through his word. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not, do not send us up from here. That thing has been going around in my head for weeks. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and you know, you know me by name. And those verses are interesting to me because 
it starts out that God, God says, my presence will go with you. And then Moses says, listen, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we're not going to move from you. And I'm like, God's just said his presence is going to go with us. And isn't that so often with us? We want to almost hear confirmation. We want to hear God again. We want to hear him say that thing again. And I was thinking of a, a fun little story. A couple of years ago, we had a couple in our church, Travis and Kirsty. They used to lead the youth. They had two sweet boys. I've got another boy now. They're living in, on an island in the middle of the Caribbean. Lucky them. But I remember we, we always over Christmas, we'd interview the kids and I went up to their little boy, I think it was Levi, and I gave him the mic. I said, what are you getting for Christmas? He goes, a toothbrush. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe what, what an amazing kid. I was utterly shocked. And we spoke to Kirsty after. She goes, no, for six months, I've been telling him what he wants for Christmas. And she's kind of almost kind of, it's shaping his mind. And I thought it's kind of, a, in some ways, how we God's children, God's word should shape our thinking of how we can actually approach him and ask him. And we think it's us asking, but if the word of God is in us and dwelling in us, we end up asking what God is actually wanting us to ask. We need nothing else this year but God's presence. We need... If you are saved and you've given your life to Jesus, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to strive for it, look for it. It's, it's in you. And I, my prayer is that we just become more aware of the presence of God in us. We have moments where we encounter God, where we get filled with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians. And then at verse 18, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. That's a bold prayer. God is, is there, but He's... He's waiting for us to ask him questions. And it's amazing where he, Moses begins to understand and speak with God. And he's like, he almost just asks a little bit more. And he asks a little bit more. And then he goes, he comes to the climax of everything. And he says, now show me your glory. That, the word glory is the essence of who God was. Moses was asking a big thing. He was asking, God, show me exactly who you are. Show me the fullness of who you are. And, and I'm convinced if you read through the Bible, you read from Moses to David to Jesus to all of the characters in between, uh, to those who are filled with the, uh, that carry God's favor is those who are able to minister to God by themselves. Those who are able to speak to God by themselves. Those who got, David uh, was called a man after God's own heart is because he used to spend hours worshiping out in the fields when no one was watching. And I'm convinced, if I look over my life, those moments when I was my late teens, early 20s, and I used to lock myself in a room and listen to Jason Upton and try to play along with his stuff, and it would just be the, the presence of God would fill my, fill my room. And, I, and honestly, I look back on that, and I was like, in that moment, God was looking on, and I, I didn't even know what I was doing. It's not like to kind of show that I'm good in any way. It was just like, man, I, I, I had a hunger for God's presence. And at times it's, it's, it's dipped away and it's like you get on with life and then you, you're leading a church and you've got a whole bunch of stuff you need to do. And then God has just, this past year and a half, just bringing me back. He's, he's realigning my heart to the place that He actually wants me to be all along. And it's in His presence. Show me your glory. And then God says this. And the Lord said, you're going to see the word the Lord a lot. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see my face and live. Then the Lord said, uh, there, is a, there is a place near me where you will stand on a rock. Amazing pictures of Jesus here. 
When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, which is always Jesus, and cover you with my hand. Jesus sits at the right hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face will be hidden. And the word for the Lord there is is a translation originally from the Hebrew, which is Y-H-W-H. We've kind of put it as Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. In Jewish Bibles, it would be called the name because they sometimes had an absolute reverence that they could not say God's name. They'd call it the name. The, The literal meaning, if you go read when God first reveals his name, it's I am that I am. It's just the God who always has been, always will be. That's a very oversimplified version of that. But here comes the fulfillment in Exodus 34. You can turn your page in your Bible. You can listen to you guys or maybe on your phone or whatever you're scrolling through. Exodus 34 verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The word there is Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation. In the ancient Near East, your name carried weight. And it wasn't just a name, it's what the meaning behind the name that you, that you were. And, and God himself, he's like, he's saying, my, my name is Yahweh, Yahweh. If that, I don't even know how that's how you say it, because no one really knows. But then he explains it. And often that word, Yahweh, is compounded with other words. It's the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord, the provider, Jehovah Nisi, the... Uh, anyway, I can't remember the rest of them. But there's a, there's a lot of words where it's, it's Yahweh compounded with other things. But I just want to go through those, through those words because for me, it just carries such weight. And in this moment, this is a profound moment with Moses. He says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you my glory, but I have to cover you. You won't see it fully. But when God begins to show his glory, how does he do it? He shows it with his word. Jesus is the word. John 1, we learned two weeks ago. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. When God reveals himself, he reveals ultimately Jesus. Compassionate and gracious God, so different to the gods of the day. It's immediately relational language. The word compassionate or the Hebrew word rahum, it it translates into merciful. The root word of that means female womb. The idea behind it is that the feeding mother towards her infant child. Amazing. Just this character of who God is. Is, um, is, of course, fatherly and masculine, but it's also motherly. It's, it's this understanding that, that there's this love that he has for us. There's this, uh, I mean, I've seen Starler with the, the, our two little twins and this other one that's on the way, which we're also trying to figure out the name. And, um, but you just see, she has long suffering for them. She, does, she has endless patience for them. I get irritated in the moment. And all dads can kind of raise their hand. You know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you know that, you, that you're not telling the truth. Uh, but Starlet, because she, she's, there's this, they came from her womb. They were dwelling with her and they came out of her womb. And, and they, they're these children of her womb. This is, there's like this incredible connection that they had. And I've just seen it kind of in real time when you look at these scriptures. 
Uh, you see the word slow to anger, and the literal meaning there is long of nostril, and that's, which is interesting. And I, I was just, and when you think about it, like, and I think I've taught on this before, but my mom, when she would be angry with me, she would go, one, two, three, four, five, you know what I mean? She'd kind of breathe in, and she's like, she's giving a bit of space. And the amazing thing is it says that God has, is he's slow to anger. He's not easily angered. His, his character is not easily angered. And sometimes people can look at the Old Testament and misinterpret the whole Old Testament. And there's a whole other discussion. We can go on that angle. But if you, if you look at how God reveals himself, he says, listen, I'm a God who is slow to anger. Abounding in love, which is loyal love, maintaining love, that same loyal love. And if you look at that word, it's a protective love. It's a fatherly love. He, he not only pours out his love, but he protects that love and he protects his people, even though they're messing up, even though they've made a golden calf and who knows what they were doing at the bottom of their mountain. They were going absolutely wild and crazy. But God says, my loyal love will protect you because I'm in covenant with you. The word forgiving is the Hebrew word NASA, and it means to lift off or lift away. Now, it's not where NASA gets their name, okay, but it's a cool way of remembering. Just remember a rocket shooting into the sky. It's like God's sins have been taken away. But if you bring that to Jesus, it says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus became the scapegoat, the, the Lamb of God. He, he takes our sin upon himself. He was crucified outside the city. He was, he, the sin of humanity was poured out upon him, and he died, he died because of that. And he, and he was resurrected on the third day, defeating death and sin. Rebellion, the word pesha, it means to break the law. This is what he forgives. He forgives our wickedness. And that's Avon in, in uh, Hebrew, but it's basically just everything. It's the junk drawer of sin. It's whatever's left over, the mess that's, that's been happening. Uh, and then the word sin, which is hata, which means to miss the mark. When we miss the mark, and how many of us miss the mark all the time? But thanks goodness we are in the new covenant under Jesus. We are the new people of God. He has forgiven us and we keep going back to him. His mercy, his grace. Forgiveness flows out of God's name. And I think in pictures, and I was just thinking how, I wonder how this happened. Like Moses hid in a rock. Uh, God, God hid Moses in a rock, covered him with his hand, and then he spoke his name. And he goes, Yahweh. And then from that place, there was just this kind of understanding that just this, this compassionate and gracious God flows out of him. But then you get the last line about that he punishes their children and their children's children for their parents' sin, the fourth. And I was like, oof, that's, that's a bit hectic. Okay, it's Old Testament, and so often we can just cross that out. But, which don't do that, okay, because that's, <laughs> that's sinful. Um, but you like, you just kind of overlook that. You look at all the good parts. But for me, that shows, that's actually good news because God is a God of justice. He's a God, he's a just God. And God is always at this point of turning. You can see it throughout Israel's history is that they mess up, mess up, mess up. There's bad king after bad king, bad king. And then all of a sudden there's a good king who repents, who brings back the word of God into, into, the, into, the, into the nation. And God turns around and he forgives them. And, and it's always that, it's like the turn of heart. And for me that just shows that actually from that scripture that God is a just God, that, he will, that there is people who are going to... Get, they've got up to nonsense that have actually messed up the world and we can name a, a million horrible things that have happened in the world but at the end of the day God is a just God final verse it says Moses bowed down to the ground and worshipped this is the first time that we see Moses worshipping and I cannot say that I think worship 
is the most important thing about us. Romans 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Worship to Him. Praise Him. And that's why we have worship at the beginning of the service. It's not just a good warm-up. It's the moment in the service that is not to do with you or me or the Word of God, which is powerful, but it's to do with God. It's to minister to Him. We are called priests. The priest's role was to minister to God Himself. Teddy, would you mind coming up? We're going to play some some music at the end, because I just really want to take a little moment for a few minutes just to spend time in God's presence. Who knows, maybe this was the moment that Moses fully realized his sinfulness and God's graciousness. Maybe this is the moment where he saw God for who he was. And how much do we need that in this time? How much do we need that in this time of coronavirus where the world is being shaken and there's, there's so much stuff happening in and around us that we can't explain We need an encounter with Jesus. We need to get on our knees. And I just wrote some thoughts. When was the last time that you lay on your face or on your back or or just just to pursue your Father in heaven? Not for things, just for Him. What an incredible privilege. We we don't have to jump through hoops. The Bible says that the, the curtain has been torn in two. We can enter boldly into God's presence, into the holy of holies. Just think about that. In the Old Testament, they used to have a priest who had a, a rope around his ankle that because the, the holiness of who God was was so, in a sense, terrifying that if he messed up while he was doing all of the stuff they needed to do, at least they could pull him out if he died. But yet, through Jesus through the torn body of Jesus Christ, we get to enter into the presence of God Himself. Spend time with our King. And we can still our hearts. There's a, it says, my presence will go ahead of you and will give you rest. Who needs rest over this time? Last night, so crazy, just for no reason, not thinking of anything, I've just had like anxiety before going to bed. I'm like, what is this? And I just... Go back to this, is that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is in charge. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're dealing with in your life, God knows it. He's walking with you. And I want to give a moment right now for those who have not surrendered their life to Jesus. Because you're looking for something. You're looking for peace. You're looking for hope. You're looking for uh, something to make sense of what's happened in the past years. I can tell you if, you, if you know Jesus, the world begins to make sense. Because we, we know that we live in a broken world, but Jesus is perfect. So if that is you, we're going to put up a little sign now that says if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, click on it. Get hold of You'll see on, on the, the, the bar at the top, there's, there's information, there's ways of getting hold of a leader. Please click on that. Get hold of us. We'd love to walk with, through a few things with you. So finally, what should our prayer look like? We need to be hungry. We need to ask for His presence. Fasting is good. I'd encourage you, if you can fast once a month, twice a month, once a week, whatever you have capacity for, because you're denying yourself the thing that brings you ultimate comfort, especially myself. Ask God to become more aware of His presence in your life. Get to know His ways, secondly. Listen to a sermon that Starla put me on to by a guy called Alan Scott, and he just said there's 32,000 promises that are in Scripture that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So often our prayers, 
It may feel like they're falling flat because we're not actually praying God's ways. We're not praying God's word. We're not praying God's word out, that His word in my mouth is as strong as His word in His mouth. Now that may sound blasphemous, but it's not. It's because it's the Word of God. Go read that throughout Scripture. Jesus did it. Joshua did it. It's the Word of God that we meditate, that lives inside of us. And as we begin to proclaim and speak out the promises of God, we're proclaiming His ways. And finally, ask big prayers. And I had an incredible dream, which I'll share next week in, in, in its entirety. But basically, there's a long journey of going up a mountain, get to the top of the mountain, climbed up bronze shelves. This just sounds crazy and apocalyptic okay but as we're sitting at the top of the mountain it was almost like Jebel Achta there was this incredible campsite and it was just there these camping tables and then we just get to the top and someone started to talk about the revival in the Hebrides and then we took communion together and it was us as a church and there's different people in there and it was just really symbolic and uh, Morty uh, our dream interpreter helped me work through some of the symbols through it and um, but the thing that got me is that the, the revival in Hebrides, now some of you may or may not have heard about it. And I'll be probably referring to it quite a bit because of this, this really clear and significant dream that I had. But there was a moment in, the, in the, the Hebrides, which is kind of this grouping of islands in the far northwest of Scotland, super cold. And uh, there were two old women. Their names were Peggy and Christine Smith, 84 and 82. One was blind, one had arthritis. And they'd seen and heard of the, the degradation of the town and that they, the people were falling away from God. And they began to pray for revival. And they said, God, would you pour out water on this dry and thirsty land? And they, they prayed for years. And they eventually called this guy, Duncan Campbell, who came along. And he came and he started preaching. And they had one meeting. And I'm summarizing a lot of the, the, the story. But they had one meeting and there was about 100 people there. And they just, they knew that God was there. It was significant and God began to move. But the, he was talking to a young deacon afterwards. And the, and the guy said, listen, there's something. God's hovering over us. He's here. But he, he hasn't like descended. But I feel like he's going to descend. And as he said that, God's presence came down. They went outside and there was a crowd full of people. People were leaving what you would call a possibly back then a discotheque or some kind of party down at the pub. They were literally leaving the pubs and running to church. People would get out of bed, get dressed and sprint to church. There was a moment where God's presence came, His, his kabod, his, his dwelling presence came and dwelt on a whole area that caused revival, that within moments there were 800 people in this church and people were filled with the Spirit of God. There was no preaching, no altar call, nothing. People were bowing down before the King. And as I began to think about that, I'm saying, God, imagine that here. Imagine that in the city. And I think so often we preoccupied with so many things and I'm including myself in that. There's so many other angles that satisfy us in life that we forget about the main thing. God's presence. God, you've done it before. You've done it before. Would you do it in our day, Jesus? It's the answer we know, Father, to this world. You are the answer, the presence of God, the thing that makes us different, the thing that draws people out of their beds at night. God, we're asking big and bold prayers. And I want to pray right now. Those, if you're in your lounge, in bed or wherever you are, just pray, pray God's presence over you. Say, Holy Spirit, would you come?
The thing about God is that the Bible says He's a jealous God, and what will happen in that moment often is that God will say, "Cool, this, cool, you want me, but there's some stuff that I need to deal with." And the way out of that is repentance, because we cannot have the fullness of God dwell in us without repentance. Walking away, not doing things, whatever it is, God, God works differently with every single person. There's no prescriptive way. So, Father, we pray over city lights. We pray, Lord God, that as we go into the season of not only talking about prayer, but actually praying, that we'd see you begin to move. We'd see your power begin to move. Even though we're in lockdown, God, the Spirit of God is not locked down. We pray, Lord God, that, uh, that this broadcast would get to people who don't know you, whether it's people that are inviting, somehow they click on it, somehow it just pops up in the news, whatever it is. Father, would you sovereignly work? We ask this in your precious and mighty name. Amen. Cool. I definitely went a little bit longer than I thought. Um, thank you, team. Thank you, Louie and Tara, Teddy, Al. So base. Oh, Justin. An incredible team that's at the back there just serving us. We'll see you next week. We're going to be online. Join a community group. You can click on that on, on the page. We want to connect with you in whatever way we can. Please get hold of us. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. We love you all. Can't wait to see you face to face.